Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Catholic Baltimore takes a look at the men who have led the Premier See of Baltimore since its inception in 1789. With the help of Father Michael Roach, church historian and professor of church history at Mount St. Mary Seminary, we are offered a glimpse into the challenges and achievements, the education and background, and the leadership qualities of those men who have served as Archbishop of Baltimore. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. We're here today with Father Michael Roach as we continue our discussion on the Archbishops of Baltimore. We're up to number 14, which is uh, William Henry Keeler. Father Roach, thanks for being with us. Honored to be here. Uh, Archbishop, now Cardinal Keeler, um, still thankfully uh, among uh, the two living uh, former Archbishops of Baltimore, uh, was a native of Pennsylvania, uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, served uh, as Archbishop from 1989 to 2007, so was here um, nearly 20 years, which is a, which is a long yes. time, um, and a man who uh, had uh, ties to Vatican II, uh, similar to uh, Cardinal Sheehan. Um, so what do we know about the early years of uh, Archbishop Keeler's life? He comes to us from Lebanon, Pennsylvania, having served as a priest of the Diocese of Harrisburg and, uh, and a bishop there. Right, and he always kept a great affinity for Harrisburg and the clergy of Harrisburg. He had a number of really good friends there who are, to this day, great friends of his. Uh, interestingly, Lebanon County is not a particularly Catholic area of, of the state, and so even from his early, earliest days, he was used to interacting with the larger Christian community, and I think that really shaded much that he did in later years. Uh, when you meet people from Pennsylvania, especially the clergy, they talk about knowing him, meeting him, seeing him here and there. He was very active in the ecumenical community early on. Yes, and even in Baltimore today, um, beloved by especially the Jewish, uh, Jewish population uh, here in Baltimore. Um, and I think this speaks to really what, what many will point to, I think, for, for years to come, which is his work in ecumenical and interfaith relations, something um, that, uh, as you rightly point out, uh, likely began when he was a young priest in Harrisburg, uh, but certainly uh, uh, was ratcheted up uh, based on his experiences as a young uh, paritas uh, during the Second Vatican Council, was it not? Indeed, indeed. And what, do we know what his role would have been during that time? So he would go and attend the sessions and then I believe would, would help really just interpret what happened for the, for the media surely, especially. Surely he was a good, and he always was very uh, tight with the media too. He saw their import. Uh, he was a fine theologian and a fine scholar, well-trained, uh, well-educated in uh, Philadelphia and Rome, and uh, w was able to filter what might have been said in very theological terms down to the uh, common parlance for the uh, journalists. Was his uh, appointment here in Baltimore a surprise? That's interesting. I remember the speculation, and he was one of the few names mentioned. If there were four or five names mentioned, his was one of the names, because he was 
something of a rising star, had done a really good job in Harrisburg and really had run the diocese even before his bishop uh, when he was a curial official there. The, uh, the bishop had gotten old, and then the next bishop had gotten very sick very soon. Mm -hmm. So he'd been shouldering the burden for a long time and running uh, a very large geographical diocese. Mm -hmm. He, uh, because of his affinity for um, interfaith relations and ecumenism, seems to share some similarities with, uh, with Cardinal Sheehan. In that regard, I think they were very different in many ways, mm -hmm. but in, in that regard, they, they were very similar. Great respect for all the faith communities. His, um, his affinity and, and involvement and understanding of uh, ecumenical interfaith relations seems to have been what elevated him to a different stratosphere when it comes to the attention of the international church. And it was, I believe, that that must have linked him to Pope John Paul II in the way that it did. Oh, yes. He told me once that uh, uh, John Paul II always referred to him when he met him as, my, my dear primate, although Baltimore was not the primatial see uh, officially, uh, John Paul would call him that. A sign of great respect. Absolutely, and affection. He served as the president of what, what we call today the U.S. Bishops' Conference, which was quite an achievement. I believe the only Archbishop of Baltimore to hold that post. Truly. Um, he chaired the uh, Bishops' Conference uh, Pro-Life Activities um, Secretariat and, uh, and of course, was, was the, the, ma the main point person for their interfaith relations. So he had some gravitas. Oh, indeed. Uh, a great figure on the national level, as a matter of fact. Uh, one of the uh, strongest leaders, I think, in the American hierarchy at that time. And if, if anyone questioned that, uh, there were two things that happened that, that would uh, cause them to see that, I believe. One was when he received the red hat and joined the College of Cardinals in 94. Um, that was uh, only the third time that the, that had happened to an arch sitting Archbishop of Baltimore, with Gibbons and Sheehan being the, the two previous. Uh, that was quite an honor. Was indeed. By the way, we have to include Cardinal Stafford as a Baltimorean, but he wasn't the Archbishop of Baltimore. Did. That's right. You can't forget him, a great figure. Absolutely. As well. What do you remember about that, um, that time? The Red Hat time. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew a lot of people who went. It was a great event. He, he got probably more coverage than anybody else who was receiving the Red Hat at the time because he was such a, a great friend of the press and mm -hmm. a, a great figure nationally and internationally. And uh, I'm sure it was a tremendous personal joy to him. And the other event that I reference is the visit of Pope John Paul II to Baltimore right. in 1995, just a year later. Um, so take us through that time and uh, how you think that came about, and certainly it right. speaks to his relationship with the Pope. Truly, I, I was involved in some of the preparation for that. We just talked about it the other night with Father Michael White, mm. who was the chair of the, the event. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal day but had incredible preparation, the likes of which I had never seen before, uh, preparing not only every minute of the visit, but every second of the visit. Uh, very impressive preparations down at the Columbus Center on, on uh, Pratt Street. Uh, there was such involvement. Hundreds and hundreds of people were involved in preparing for that day, and the day turned out to be magnificent. It was. A beautiful blue-skyed October day, yeah. you know, uh, uh, full of blessings, and people still talking about that day. And what is that from... Someone looking at it from the sidelines, what does that say if a pope comes to Baltimore, which is the, has an important place in the church's history, but is um, a mid-level diocese, um, it is the premier see, but it's not New York, and 
and you know it's not Los Angeles. So what what does that say uh, that that Cardinal Keeler was able to get the Pope to come here? Indeed, uh, it, it was much of his own personal weight that brought uh, the Pope to Baltimore and their friendship and and their mutual working on a number of questions. Uh, uh, it, it was. A, as I say, still a grand day, remembered richly by so many. There was no crime in Baltimore that day. It was an amazing thing. Uh, Knowing that all of the security would have been focused on the Pope's visit. Right, indeed. Yet, indeed. Right. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing footage of the whole thing. And uh, Mike Gambrell, who's a parishioner of mine, I remember they're greeting the Pope and his uh, genuflecting, kissing the Pope's uh, hand. I thought, whoa. It's many, many visuals from that day that I still recall. Yeah, it seems yeah. like it was, uh, in many ways, just yesterday. Of course, one of the uh, significant challenges that Cardinal Keeler faced during his time was that he led a diocese uh, in a nation that was rocked by scandal, That um, whose epicenter was in Boston at the time. This was in 2002, and of course we're speaking about the clergy sex abuse uh, crisis. Uh, what must that have uh, been like for the Cardinal in terms of his personal response and just how challenging and taxing it was to him? I'm sure terrible pain for him. This was not something he got involved in easily. and and. Luckily, fortunately, providentially, Baltimore didn't quite have the, the horrid dimensions of the uh, uh, problem uh, quantitatively that, that uh, Philadelphia, Boston, and any number of other dioceses did have. We were fortunate in that it wasn't uh, more wrenching than it was than mm. it proved. One of the great loves for the Cardinal, of course, was uh, for the Basilica. He's a, a deep lover of historian for architecture, for history, for art. Um, he uh, took it upon himself to spearhead the campaign to what was called Restore the Light, which was to um, return the Basilica to its original design. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Took some vision. Absolutely. And he obviously loved the fabric of that building. And, and the step about letting the light in through the dome again was certainly a brilliant one. Uh, a church is an org- a cathedral church is an organic unity, however, and it evolves and devolves. And uh, uh, he did clean it up, that's for sure. And uh, uh, there's some lovely things about it. Uh, it did cost a great amount of money. It did. Um, and to his credit, he uh, he insisted on leading the campaign to raise funds for the expansion of Catholic charities before um, beginning with the, the Basilica project. And the majority of the funds raised for the Basilica were raised outside the diocese. So I think the cardinal understood uh, the importance in terms of priority of uh, of not uh, subjugating those issues for uh, for the church itself. Uh, one of the great uh, blessings of the card of the cardinal's tenure was also the the ability to um, attract visits from Mother Teresa as well as the ecumenical patriarch. Um, the restoration of the basilica, as we mentioned, the visit of Pope John Paul II to Baltimore. Um, is it safe to say that Cardinal Keeler um, helped keep the church in the spotlight, so to speak, here in Baltimore? Oh, yes. He was very wise in that regard. He had a great sense of uh, how to do that, and he did it well. He was very media savvy, as a matter of fact. Mm. I know uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things that he created in his time was uh, the Partners in Excellence campaign that, that began in 1996 and has since raised about $20 million for uh, children, largely non-Catholic children, um, from impoverished neighborhoods in Baltimore to attend Catholic schools. So it, it, while he had his personal uh, projects, he, he also seemed to have his fingers on the pulse of what the community needed and, and what was necessary in terms of the church's ability to serve others. 
Oh, he was a very efficient bishop. Not one thing uh, consumed him completely. There were all the duties of the episcopacy that were always in the forefront of his mind, a brilliant mind. So as I mentioned at the beginning, Archbishop, uh, now Cardinal Keeler, is, is, uh, is uh, enjoying retirement. Um, so we, we recall him with the understanding that he is uh, still very much with us. Um, that being said, what are your recollections then of the, kind of the final word on Cardinal Keeler's uh, episcopacy? Right. He was a man who was terribly interested in so many things, uh, nationally, internationally, and locally. Uh, he, he was forging friendships and, and connections and relationships all the time. And he was revered by all sorts of dissimilar groups. So that's uh, the final word on uh, William Cardinal Keeler from Father Michael Roach. Thanks very much. Surely. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Julie Sidlowski, a 7th grader at Monsignor Slade Catholic School in Glen Burnie, describes her relationship with her friend and classmate, Emily Kalenda. We take her from class to class, Sidlowski said. Sometimes we pick her up and sometimes we direct her. Okay, Emily, turn right. Come forward. All the while, Emily also a seventh grader, is actually studying from her bedroom at home using an iPad. Another iPad at Monsignor Slade and a speaker mounted on a wheeled base puts her virtually in the classrooms and hallways of Monsignor Slade. In January of 2012, Emily was diagnosed with a rare disease that keeps her homebound for long periods. Essentially, she has a robot at Monsignor Slade that attends class for her and helps her keep up socially with the other students. Read more at catholicreview.org. Also on catholicreview.org, Dr. Catherine Bowling felt good as she drove to Mercy Medical Center's Lutherville Personal Physicians. It was 6.20 a.m. and raining lightly June 24th, her granddaughter Carly's birthday. Then a tractor trailer pulled next to her on the Baltimore Beltway. Moments later, the family physician found herself trapped in her car slammed between the truck and the concrete median wall. She could see fire and panicked. As soon as she kicked open the door, another motorist grabbed her arm and pulled her to safety moments before the car exploded. Bowling, who is 58, believes that man, David Ndegwa, and his wife Anne saved her life on a morning that is seared in the memory of the Reisterstown woman. These stories and much more at catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, the Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today, in print and online, 
at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Catholic Baltimore takes a look at the men who have led the premier see of Baltimore since its inception in 1789. With the help of Father Michael Roach, church historian and professor of church history at Mount St. Mary Seminary, we are offered a glimpse into the challenges and achievements, the education and background, and the leadership qualities of those men who have served as Archbishop of Baltimore. This is Sean Kane, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. We are fortunate enough to be joined by Father Michael Roach as we continue our discussion on the Archbishops of Baltimore. Uh, Father Roach, good to be with you. It's grand to be here. So uh, our our final and uh, most previous uh, Archbishop is uh, Cardinal Edwin O'Brien, who comes to us um, originally a, a Bronx, New Yorker, always retains and continues to retain that. Um, a Yankee fan still. Yep, and he makes no bones about it. <laughs> uh, a man who uh, I think, as personally know him, uh, was, was as influenced as much by his service in the military as almost anything in his life. And anyone who knows him knows that he's, he, has, he carries himself in a way that's very respectful of the military. And just uh, you can see how that, that has an uh, important place in his heart. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I was in his quarters one time in uh, uh, 408 North Charles Street, and I was struck by how Spartan it was. And uh, it was clearly military. You know, very simple, uh, not not a lot of clutter, very much like he was yeah. and is. Uh, he uh, serves as uh, what to me seems like a perfect uh, position for him was the Archbishop of the Military Services before he comes to Baltimore. That's when I first heard him speak. He he spoke at uh, Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg for one of our youth rallies, Youth 2000, and uh, uh, he was a remarkably powerful preacher that day, and I thought, this man is to be watched. Interestingly, when he came to Baltimore, he became responsible for less people than he had been responsible for when he was in the military ordinariate. But nonetheless, uh, seen as a, uh, a nod to his abilities coming here. Oh, indeed. Indeed. A man who could make t- tough decisions. And I think that, looking back, will, will be undoubtedly part of his legacy, that he had some tough decisions, especially where Catholic education was concerned, and wasn't afraid to make them. Right. Painful, painful decisions. Yeah, almost no win decisions. Right. Right. But the truth was, the, the financial situation was so dreadful. There were individual schools that were in the red for more than a half a million dollars, and you just couldn't continue that much longer. Especially when there were plenty of seats in the remaining schools to serve the children who were in those buildings. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, Bronx, born and raised. Very much a New Yorker. Bronx Irish. Yeah, right, right. I, I often make my retreat up there at Larchmont, at Father Benedict Rochelle's retreat house there at Trinity. And uh, there would be New York priests there, and they'd tell stories about Eddie O'Brien. Uh, and there were three Ed O'Briens, so they had to distinguish each one of them <laughs> in the diocesan presbyterate. He would uh, often speak of his time, especially in his public remarks, where as a young priest chaplain in the military, he would, he would uh, marry young men, uh, and six months later, he'd be burying them. That that had to be a very uh, challenging thing, especially for a young priest. Absolutely. And, you know, he's a real man's man, but by the same token, he has great heart. And he's very emotional about a number mm-hmm. of things. And I'm sure that tore him up. But it made him uh, more the leader he became. His uh, personal motto, not his Episcopal motto, was officers eat last. And, I, Absolutely. and uh, to me, that was always... Um, it spoke very much of his character, and anyone who had ever had a meal in his presence, whether it was an informal one or, or not, um, 
he would always be served last. Absolutely, that's the way he is. Looking after his men, that's probably why he was, he was so terribly kind to the priest. The priest loved him. He was so good to us priests, as he'd been good, I suspect, to his officers in the military. Uh, I can't speak enough of him. He was really a father. He was really a father to the priest. There's something very fatherly about him. And uh, he lost his own father rather young. And I think perhaps that's why he's so keen on being a good father, providing a good father for his charges. In 2012, his time as Archbishop of Baltimore came to a pretty abrupt end, I, I think, uh, by any measure. Um, but certainly history as its measure, you know, when you come into the Archbishop of Baltimore, that's pretty much the last stop. Right, so right. what do you make of that? I don't, I don't understand the appointment, but I think it's been a good one for him. He's the man for the job. He's great in working with uh, folks, and uh, he's traveling the world now in his new job. Uh, I think perhaps he made the tough decisions and then had to move on. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But, but a splendid man, an admirable man in my book, and uh, we were lucky to have him for the brief tenure we had him. He wasn't the shortest uh, tenure to Archbishop of Baltimore. That was Leonard Neal, who lasted 18 months. But uh, I wish he'd stayed longer, but, but we did well in the draw afterwards. And uh, though it's too early now to tell because uh, not enough time has passed, um, and certainly there are many uh, wounds still raw from the closures of schools, especially uh, how do you think in the end history will remember the Episcopacy of Edwin O'Brien? I hope that that won't be the one thing that he's remembered for because that was a tough and painful decision, and I think there are parts of West Baltimore, for example, that are still wounded by the closing of Cardinal Gibbons and some of the parish schools. Every, every school my family ever attended was closed, St. Williams, St. Edward, St. Bernardine's. But uh, we have hope for tomorrow, and I think there is some uh, hope on the horizon for Catholic schools in the urban environment. Because of the tough decisions of Cardinal Bryan. Father Michael Roach, thanks for being with us and for uh, helping us uh, navigate the roads of the history of the Archbishops of Baltimore. Glad to be able to do it. Great, thank you. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs, and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish and everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. 
Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. For over 200 years, the Archdiocese of Baltimore's Catholic schools have welcomed families of all faiths, providing generations of students with an academically excellent value-based education taught in a Christ-centered environment. With a 99% graduation rate, the highest in the nation, and a 98% college attendance rate, Catholic school graduates are better prepared to succeed in college and beyond. But Catholic schools offer more than an education. They offer tradition, family, faith, and the opportunity for students to grow as individuals and as future leaders in their community. Discover these and other benefits of a Catholic school and learn more about why Catholic schools are an unparalleled value in education in the Baltimore region. Call 1-800-5-CATHOLIC or visit www.archbalt.org. Catholic Schools, a place to grow. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.